Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast of the class is dedicated today in loving memory of Frida Blanco. Alea Shalom Lilun Nishmat Frida Bat Nazira, sponsored by her nephew Mark Ajmi. Azaku Baruch. Breakfast is also dedicated in loving memory of Nathan Marcus. Alea Shalom Lilun Nishmat. Natan Ben Rachel. Alea Shalom, sponsored by the Marcus family. Um, breakfast in the class is dedicated for the Rifuash Shlema of Meir Ben Adelia, sponsored anonymously, and for the success of uh, all of the treatments, inshallah, be'ezrat Hashem. Um, and the week of Kolbru is dedicated, loving memory, Sammy Sayed, Le'ilu Nishmat Shalom Rivka, sponsored by his son, Isaac Sayed. Rabotai, we read about the interesting meeting between Yaakov, Avinu, and Paro'o. Could you imagine that what an unbelievable uh, news spread that would have been in the Mishpacha magazine, you know, in Ami, in the Jewish press, you know, when Jacob meets the, the most powerful king in the world. Anyway, the elderly Jewish sage comes to Paro and he says, <clears throat> and Paro sees him come in to his palace and, and he was stood up in front of Paro, they stood him up. And, uh, and Yaakov blesses Paro. Mafe Mitlak, you're the best uh, Paro I ever met, he says. You know, you should live a long Paro life. He gives him many different Berachot. You know, the snake on your, uh, on your hat should never droop. All the beautiful Berachot that you could give to a Paro. Vayomer Paro el Yaakov. And Paro says to Yaakov, Kama chayecha. How many years are the years of your life? Yaakov el Paro and Paro he gets the answer. Yaakov gives him the answer. I have 130 years. They were few and not so good. The years of my life. And I have not yet reached the amount of years, the years of my parents of uh, Yitzhak and Avraham, who lived either 175 and 180 respectively. The Chachamim explained to us that the number of words that Yaakov uses, um, each word that Yaakov said in complaint to Paro about his life, cost him a year of his own life. Yaakov loses from the number that he should have had, Yaakov loses each expression, each word, another day. And the funny thing about this, which again is a, is a very powerful lesson to learn, is that if you count the years that Yaakov lived less than his father's, right, less than the, the, even the minimum, the number of words that he says here are not enough. And the Chachamim explained that we counted the words of Vayomer Paro el Yaakov, Kama Yemesh How old are you? Why? Because when Yaakov walked in, the first thing that Paro asked him is not what his name is, not what he likes for a living. So, you know, chalant, how do you go? Sweet or spicy? He doesn't ask him anything like that. He says, how old are you? Illustrating that Yaakov gave off the impression that he was a very old and very tired and very beat up man. And Paro's question is counted in uh, to the amount of complaints, if you will, the words of complaint that Yaakov Avinu issued because Yaakov generated that. Rabotai, I think we're learning an unbelievable lesson here. 
And the lesson that our rabbis, I think, were trying to teach us is not that if you speak negative words or if you speak words that are, you know, complaining in nature or cynical or, you know, that you lose years of your life, each one of... The way God deals with the greatest tzaddikim who ever lived, that's not a relevant factor for you and me. I'm never going to be judged. You're never going to be judged on that level. You know, when, uh, you know, you go to, you go to, you come home after going out to eat with your friends and your wife says, how was the restaurant? You're like, terrible. Hashem and Shemayim is like, oh, 119. <laughs> yeah, had they served a steak? Oh, it was medium instead of medium rare. No steak should ever be served medium. You know, it's me, you know, da 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 his, and in Shamaim, they're like, it was served medium. <laughs> no steak should ever be served. You know, anything but medium rare. Shemaim said he just lost 11 years of his life. That's not how it works. And we also don't lose months for each word. And we don't lose, necessarily, we don't lose days from our life. God doesn't uh, judge us on that level because we're not tzaddikim on the level of Yaakov Avinu. But Rabotai, on some level, this idea that happened to Yaakov is relevant for all of us too. Why? You know, our rabbis tell us that there were many, many more Nevi'im than the Nevi'im that are recorded in the Torah. We have in the Torah 48 Nevi'im, right? But how many Nevi'im are there? The Gemara seems to indicate that there were double the amount of people that left Egypt, double the number of counted Jews that left Egypt. How many were counted? 600,000 souls. 600,000 times 2, 1.2 million Nevi'im. Now, even if the Gemara is, is using that term as an exaggerative term, like many, 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 still, the, the numbers are not 52. It's tons and tons, hundreds of thousands, a million, however many there are. And we know so few of the Nevi'im. You know, the Nevi'im that we experience in the Torah also, we don't get told about each Nevi'ah that they have. What makes it into the cut of Tanakh? Only something which is called a nivuah, a prophecy, which is lidorot. So if God speaks to a navi and he gives him a message, which is only appropriate for that time, then that nivuah and that navi, if that's all he had as a nivuah, doesn't make the cut. You know why? Because while his level is lofty and he's close to the kiseah kavod, he's a big sadiq, etc., etc. But this, the limited real estate in our books is reserved for lessons that all of us are going to learn. So if we're learning about Yaakov Avinu being judged on a level that none of us are ever going to be judged on, why was it important to include that in the Torah? And the answer is because Rabbi this that happened to Yaakov Avinu also happens to us. Every word of complaint costs us years of our lives. Not necessarily in a sin slash punishment paradigm but in a cynical or negative slash reality paradigm people who live negative lives Rabotai, the quality of the years of their life is diminished so greatly there have been study after study after study after study illustrating the fact that a person's positive attitude allows them to have a much better quality of life. And it doesn't just mean that if you look at things positively, so you think you have a better life. No. Literally, on every metric, a person who decides that they're going to live a life of positivity, a, the person who decides that they're going to look at the glass 
half full, their life, it increases, their quality of life literally increases. The percentages of patients that are uh, going into the hospital with a positive mindset, who come out with a positive outcome, is greater than those people who go into hospital with a negative mindset. Even if they're going in for the same things. What a powerful thing that is. So the Torah is teaching you a lesson for posterity. You're complaining. You look at your life and you say, Me'at vira'im. You're going to have less life. Less life qualitatively. Less life quantitatively. You're complaining, you're going to lose, you're going to shorten your life. Rabotai, we did not know this for many, 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 many hundreds or even thousands of years. But the fact that a person lives with stress and with anxiety, we know today shortens their lifespan. Stress brings on diseases like Crohn's and colitis and uh, heart failure. We know this today for a fact. When a person comes to the doctor, the doctor sees that the guy has a, what do they call that test? It's called a stress test, right? They're checking the impact that stress has and they tell the guy, you can't work like this anymore. You need to slow down. Your business, going in every day like this, worrying about the bottom line, it's gonna kill you. Literally, we are learning the lesson from Yaakov Avinu that a person's outlook on their life can make the difference between whether they have or don't have it. So let's take a look for one second at Yaakov's words. Yaakov says, the years of my life were 130. They were few and they were um, bad. Now, it's interesting because if you had 130 years, how could they be few? You know what that reminds me of? You have a little kid. And the kid says, you know, oh, how old are you? You know, uh, I'm, I'm 42. And you tell the kid, you know, they ask you, how old were you when you were my age? <laughs> Did you hear that from a kid? How old were you when you were my age? What do you, how could 130 years be a few years? Me'at vira'im hayu. They are as many as they are. It's a number. The number doesn't change. Right? What is me'at vira'im hayu? And I think the answer is that he's saying is yemei shenei chayai. The years that I really got to live with you. The years that I got to live, to have life, uh, as life should be, were few and far in between. Think about the fact that from the time that Esav and Yaakov uh, split ways when they were 15 years old, Yaakov has to run away from home. You know, he, he's, uh, you know, in living with this brother in his house. Think about how difficult that was for a Sadiq like Yaakov. Then the story with the Berachot, he has to run away. Then he gets tricked with, uh, with Lavan, winds up working, you know, for Le'ah and then again for Rachel. Then he has a wife that can't have children. Then he has children that are fighting. Then he has Lavan who's trying to trick him nonstop. Then he has Esav that's trying to kill him. Then, you know, Yosef gets sold. He's missing one of his kids. I mean, it's, 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 it's brutal, the onslaught 
of things that Yaakov Avinu has to deal with. His daughter gets taken by Shechem. His kids go to war. He then has many wars that he needs to deal with with the people of the area. If you look at the Ma'am Loez, you'll see at the end of Parashat Vayishlach, all the wars that people came to attack him after the story of Shechem. He, he really, and you know, for us, when we're negative, we're negative about stupid things. He, he had an incredibly difficult life. So when Yaakov is saying this, he's not putting a negative spin on it. He's ish emet, he's saying it as it is. Right? I, I had a rough life. He, in fact, is really even answering the question of Paro. Paro says, you know, you look old, man. How old are you? How old are you? He, he's answering the question which is asking why he looks aged. How could you blame Yaakov for that? Secondly, how could you blame Yaakov for the words of Paro? We're learning over here, Rabotai, that when the Torah tells you the importance of being a person that's not complaining, being a person that is in a, a positive state of mind, it's not only the words that come out of your mouth. Being a positive person means that when other people see you, what they see on your face is positivity. Now let's be clear. Being positive doesn't mean that you have a smile on your face all the time. That you fake a smile no matter what you're going through. People are allowed to be in pain. But you could find people in pain who are grimacing, who are suffering, but who are positive. You could find people who are trying to find the shiduch, going out time after time, you could find people who are not well, who are waiting for the proper treatment, or waiting to find a match for, uh, you know, for uh, 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 bone marrow, or for, or for uh, kidney, or for a liver. And they're positive. Yeah, Bezrat Hashem, it will be okay. I'm sure we'll find someone. How, you know, it hurts, but thank God, you know, another day. Uh, you know, I got to see another day with my family, another day, you know, to enjoy, to appreciate the world. No one is saying to fake to fake anything, what we're saying is that you're costing your self-life. Rabotai, even when someone asks you the question, wow, you look so old, we're learning from here, that even when the question implies, it's asking you, wow, you look like you have it really rough, what's wrong in your life? Even there, Rabotai, the ability to keep that positive attitude is so important because ultimately that is what brings this tremendous beracha. Rabotai, we go back for one second to the beginning of our story, the story of Yaakov, of Yosef and the brothers. When the brothers come and they, they feel terrible about what happened, right? They feel so bad about what they've done to Yosef. And Yosef says to them, what, is those, what, is that, what does that word mean? Te'atsevu. Don't be sad. Don't be depressed. God sent me here for a reason. God put me here in order to be the source of food, of blessing for our family, for this entire region, and indeed for the famine that was shaking the whole world at the time. Rabotai, when Yosef who also has an incredibly difficult life. 
When he has his brothers right there on the ropes, Yosef manages to look at the bleakest scenario and see the positive side of it. I want to share one last word that Yosef HaSadiq says that I think is very powerful. The first time he says, he says, God sent me here to bring life, to bring sustenance. But only a couple pesukim later, again, Yosef says something seemingly which is exactly redundant, exactly a copy of what he said two pesukim before. You didn't send me here. It was God. What's the difference? You just said that two seconds ago. You didn't send me here, but Hashem sent me here. The first time, right? Uh, uh, the second time he says, you didn't send me here, but rather God sent me here. to be I think those words, I think was Yosef communicating a very different message. You know, the first time Yosef says, you sent me down. Hashem sent me before you to be uh, someone who brings uh, but the second time, excuse me, the, 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 the second time, the first time he says, don't, right, that you sent me, the second time, he doesn't say that you sent me, God sent me in front of you, he says, here. I think that Yosef is communicating a line that every single person needs to think and drill into their psyche every single day of their lives. Hashem sent me henna here. First, Yosef is talking to them about their specific uh, deed. It wasn't you that did this. It wasn't you that did this. God sent me here for a purpose. But then Yosef says something that's even more powerful. Because you know, I think, I remember hearing in a class the other day, that I, I gave a class and one of the people said, you know, it's easy to talk about this way about Yosef because it, it worked out for him in the end. You know, it's easy for Yosef to, you know, bring the brothers in and make shalom because, you know, he's on the throne. What would Yosef have said? What would he have said if he was sitting in jail still? What would he have said if he was at the bottom of the heap and not at the top? And I think that's what Yosef Sadiq is saying. The first time he says, you know, God sent me here for the positive reason. But I want you to understand, he said, that I have lived my life with the credo that wherever I was, Hashem sent me, Hashem sent me henna to this place. It was the same God that sent me to jail. The same God that made sure that I get to the house of Potiphar and have the problems with Eshed Potiphar. God sent me here. In fact, one of the Chachamim gives a beautiful insight into Yosef HaSadiq. Yosef tells his brothers, they can't believe it, they feel so embarrassed. Yosef says, Geshu henna, come close. Vayigashu, when they came close. Why did he tell them to come close? He showed them that he had a Brit Milah. What do you mean he showed them? What does Brit Milah do anything? Simple level, he's showing them that he has a Brit Milah. You know, that he's part of the clan. He's actually Joseph. But the Mefarshim ask that there were lots of people at the time that had Brit Milah. Right? Lots. First of all, anyone that came from the line of Avraham Avinu, from either side, the children of Ishmael also doing Brit Milah. What does that prove? 
doesn't prove anything. One of the ideas that Yosef was sharing with them is that Yosef was saying, he was showing them Shuhumahul in the context of what he was saying to them. The Brit Milah represents God's special connection with the Jewish people. The Hashgacha Piratit, the way that God looks out for Am Yisrael. He explained to them, he showed them, I have a special relationship as part of Am Yisrael with Borei Olam, with God. And if something is supposed to happen to me, it happens. And if it does, it's not supposed to happen to me, it doesn't happen. So although you think that you sent me here, this is ultimately the plan of Borei Olam himself. It's a very different experience if a person lives their life that wherever they are, they're saying to themselves that God sent me here. Could you imagine having that, uh, you know, on a, on a bracelet on your, you wear on your wrist, right? That wherever you go, you pull it out, you know, God sent me here. I want to share with you a story that was brought by the Ben Ishchai, a fascinating story. The Ben Ishchai tells that there was a, 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 a very righteous man who was a, a, a woodworker, he was a carpenter, in the, old, in the old Yishuv of Yerushalayim. And his name was Avraham Hanagar, Avraham the carpenter. Anyway, Avraham the carpenter slowly but surely was putting aside money for a very long time in order to be able to survive in his old age. He hid it in a hiding place inside of another hiding place. But what he didn't know was that there was someone, a neighbor, that watched him every day take this money and hide it through a window and every day they paid attention and they waited and waited and waited until finally one day Abraham went on a very rare vacation with his, uh, with his wife and there was nobody home. The fellow goes inside the house, into the hiding place, inside the hiding place, and he takes the money. Had that this guy who steals the money of this man who never took a penny from anyone uh, unlawfully so honest, so just, so kind. He takes the money, it's a huge sum by this time, and he runs away with it. The fellow is trying to get to another place where no one will know him and he'll be able to use the money. But somehow in traveling down to the south, he winds up getting stuck in Midbar Yehuda. Fascinating story. He winds up getting stuck in the middle of Midbar Yehuda. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know which way to go. He's run out of food. Unfortunately, it happens even to this day. The landscape is so similar. It's confusing. A person can get lost. He takes all the money. He hides it in a big uh, log of wood that he finds along the, you know, the, the, uh, the area where there's water. And he, the man slowly but surely screams and screams. He's not feeling well. He hasn't had enough food. The man dies in Midbar Yehuda as punishment for the fact that he stole the money. Crazy story, right? Anyway, there's a young man. There's a young man who, uh, um, uh, who's you know, traveling in, in uh, Midbar Yehuda, a young fella, um, who comes across this large piece of wood. He brings it to Yerushalayim, back to where you know, he lives. And who does he bring this piece of wood to sell it to? The carpenter. Abraham, but he himself, the young man himself, 
didn't have a job, didn't know, you know. So he brings him the wood. He says, look, I found this piece of wood. You know, maybe I figured maybe someone will buy it. He says, but in truth, he says, I also, I don't really have a job. Is it anyway? He takes him on as an assistant. Anyway, what's the first thing they do? They chop up the wood to be able to, you know, use it for carpentry. Inside, what does Abraham the carpenter find? His treasure, exactly the amount of money, the, the what's it called, the money that was taken from him is now inside this tree, okay? He feels so relieved that Borei Olam took care of him and he says to this man, you know, you found this mitziah, you brought it back to me, I feel like I should, I should give you something. The man refuses to take any of the money. Thank you so much, I'm so happy to be here, you know, in this, uh, uh, in this situation. Please, dachilak, it's... You know, it's, it's fine, it's great. I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. He refuses to take the money. But it bothers this man, Avraham the carpenter. I said he's a straight Yashar guy. It bothers him. He wants to give this fella some of this, you know, f- the fortune of money that he's hidden away all these years that the man brought back to him. Anyway, a little while later, the carpenter's daughter got married and they were making a big seuda. So he says to his wife, you know, could you make me, make me a big, beautiful challah? All right, a big uh, challah. And I'll take the money and I'll, uh, how do you call it? And, and uh, I'll take the money I want to give him. And in the middle of the challah, so he won't realize that we're giving it to him as he goes, you know, as he goes home to his parents, we'll stick the money inside the challah. I'll give him the challah and that will be, and I'll be able to give, you know, give him the flus. Could you believe this story? Unbelievable. Ben Ishchai, not, uh, you know. The guy, oh, wow, thank you so much. The chala, he's so happy. <laughs> uh, he's, you know, he's, he feels, you know, okay, thank you. He takes the chala, puts it in a, you know, in a beautiful bag. It's a very, his wife was an expert, you know, in making it. It's a very beautiful, very ornate chala with all sorts of, how do you call it? The guy starts traveling uh, back home to his, to his parents' house. As he's traveling home to his parents' house, Suddenly, I mean, this is a wild time in, in Israel. Someone steps out. They put a gun to the guy's head. You know, they say, give us every, you know, whatever you have. The guy, he's a poor guy. He doesn't have anything. So they open up his bags. They see, what does he have? A beautiful chala. So the guy has the mask on. He says, okay, give me that, give me that uh, pastry that you have over here, whatever it is. At least I'll get something out of the robbery. Okay, no problem. Take the, take the, 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 take the chala. He gives him the chala not realizing what's inside, all the money that the guy wanted to give him. Anyway, this young man goes on his way. Rabbutai, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, uh, Avraham the Nagar, you know, he made things for everybody. So he got to know a lot of people. Hada, why did he take the chala? Because he thought, you know, I'm going to this guy to say Mabruk for his wedding. At least I'll have something to bring him. So he knocks on the door. The guy, Abraham, opens the door and the fellow takes this big challah. He says, look, I bought you this very special thing in honor of the wedding. You know, and he gives it to him. Abraham's looking at the thing. He's realizing <laughs> exactly what's going on over here. Right? And, and he puts it back in the kitchen and he realized that Borei Olam, he wanted him to have this money. So every, no matter what, the, the guy tries to steal it, Hashem brings it back. He tries to gift it away to this other guy, Hashem's like, don't worry, this, this money, I want you to have it. Ultimately, 
When a person looks at their life and recognizes um, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Lo atem shelachtem otihena, you did not send me here, ki ha'elokim, but rather it was God, uh, they live their life in a very different way. So your boss fires you, yeah, obviously, fight for your job, but after you've did, given it your best shot, think in your head, Lo atem shelachtem otihena. Right? Someone puts, you know, a person's in a bad state in, uh, in their relationship. They break. You didn't send me here. It was God. 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 When a person lives that way, their life is a very different life. You know, Rabbi Galinsky was very short. I love this. So he says, some people say the glass is half full. Some people say the glass is half empty. He says, I'm a type of guy, I only look at the, I say always that the glass is half full. You know why, he says? Because I'm short, the only part of the glass that I see. We should all be so short. We should all be blessed to be that short. That the only part of life that we could see is the glass half full. But if you want to be able to take that into your hands, one of the ways to do that is to constantly have this refrain. Put it on your phone. Put it on a sticky note on the refrigerator. Lo atem shelachtem otihena. You did not send me here. Ki ha'elokim. It was God. You know, I look back on my life and sometimes there's various things that happened to me that at the time that they happened in my life, I thought to myself, ah, what a shame. If only, I can't believe it, da, da, da. But as time goes on, you actually wind up looking in retrospect and you see, oh my gosh, you know, the person that got that job, the person that moved to that place, you know, Uli, there was a place when we first moved here to, to New York City. There was a, a, a place, a house that we were actually looking at renting. And uh, we, were very, we very much wanted to go there because there's a lot of space and it was a, it was a very good deal, okay? And in the end, for whatever reason, we couldn't, we couldn't get that, that specific uh, place to live. And I was like, oh, I was thinking to myself, oh, how many guests we could have had with all the space and what kind of events we could have had for the people, obviously before Corona, where human beings were allowed to meet with people, right? You know, and I kept thinking to myself, oh. <laughs> and then Rabbi Tai, one day I like to keep up with the news. So one day I open up the news and it says, house in New York City, plagued by giant rats. The owners of these house had to move out of the home because there were these monster rats that they could not get to leave this house. And of all the places in the entire Manhattan that it should go in the newspaper, that I should get to read in the newspaper about the fact that there's a huge rat problem, not a huge rat problem, a huge rat problem, right? That they can't get rid of, that the people need to leave the house. I looked back and I thought to myself, oh, I was so upset that we didn't get it. Amen.